Greetings and blessings, saints. Welcome to the Revelation Decoded Podcast. I'm your host and teacher, Gil Maza. We are going through an epic study through the book of Revelation, unlike any you might have heard before. Did the first century Christians understand the book of Revelation when it was first written by the Apostle John? You bet. They understood it and acted on it, and therefore they were spared the greatest tribulation that could ever come upon a Jewish people and the cataclysmic end of the Old Covenant. Think you know the book of Revelation? Come and see. Go with me to Acts chapter 20. Verses 17 to 24. It says, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, bound in spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying the bonds and afflictions await me. But do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, I do not consider it, so that I may finish the course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. So in the face of adversity, in the face of an ever-changing culture and environment, in the face of an ever-growing hostile world, they had to go out the apostles, the disciples, and plant these churches right in the enemy's territory. They literally came in to the enemy's territory, took, over, took it over, planted a church, and kept it, and fought against the you know hell in all its fury coming after them. And I don't understand or no, I, I can't see anywhere where that has changed for the Christian church. That the power of the Holy Spirit or the way the Holy Spirit operates, that that's changed for us. That somehow we get the weak version of the Holy Spirit while everybody in the book of Acts gets the nice powerful version. That makes no sense to me. So this, here in Ephesus, it would have existed as a church roughly over 30 years. And as one of the very first churches that ever existed in the New Testament, it is the first to be addressed by the great shepherd above all shepherds and the chief shepherd as the apostle Peter calls him. Go with me to 1 Peter 5 verses 1 through 5. Verse 1 says, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you exercising oversight not under compulsion but voluntarily according to the will of God and not for sordid gain but with eagerness nor yet as lording it over them allotted to your charge but proving to be uh, uh, examples to the flock and when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory you younger men likewise be subject to your elders and all of you clothe yourselves with humility to one another for God is opposed to the proud 
but give grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. I think the rest of it is worth reading. It says, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him. Be firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. So you see, this was a very critical time for the churches that were in existence. They have had enough time since the, our Lord um, uh, ascended to heaven to grow and develop their own styles, develop their own methods and reputation among the people and in their communities. But they are still developing and maturing in the faith. In other words, they were still babies. Even after 40 years, even after a generation, they're still struggling as babies. Okay? And it says here, uh, and, and, and they were still able to be taught, flexible, to modify the directions, to do what God or Jesus wanted them to do. Now, of course, like anything else man attempts to do, there's going to be flaws, there's going to be errors, there's going to be mistakes and problems. That is inevitable. And so this is a perfect time to come and give them a progress report so that they can learn, they can adjust, they can understand the will of God and then begin to grow, start growing again in the right direction. Are they representing Jesus the way our Lord wants to be represented? Are they accomplishing the work of the kingdom that our Lord left for them to do? Well, we're about to find out. We're about to find out. And that's where these letters come in and the, the, the cosmic importance of these letters. That we should pour over them word for word, understand them implicitly. First, apply that mirror to our lives. Are we living that way? Are we doing what we need to be doing? Are we obeying the Word of God? Are we obeying the clear, concise, and direct you know, recommendations of our Lord Jesus, His commands to do what He wants us to do? It's, it's as plain as day here, what He wants us to do. So before he gets into the message and, what, and what's going on in that situation, he reminds them of who and what he is. What does he say? Revelation 2 verse 1, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this, Think to yourself for a moment, if you were a Jewish believer, knowing everything that, that you know about the Old Testament, having lived your life going to the temple and seeing the priests do what they do 
walking to the through, to the holy of holies how they had to prepare themselves everything that had to be done how they prepared the sacrifices and all those things and now you hear that there's this man Jesus Christ right the messiah the christ is now he says he's the one who holds the seven stars okay and we already know what those seven stars right are the seven churches and then he says he walks among the lampstands. Those are the churches himself. So this is a very powerful word picture communicating to the Jews and Gentiles that were Christians at that time, communicating to them, hey, I am in charge. I hold the whole thing right here in my hand. I'm in control of all this. You need to listen to me. I'm right here. I have not left you. Lo, I am with you to the end of the age. He promised them that, and now he is proving it by showing up again before the greatest cataclysm would happen, by talking to John the Apostle, by communicating these words. He is proving that he is that, that guy. He is that person that is in charge of it all, in control of it all, then and today. Then and today. I think that what happened in the church of Ephesus is that apparently one important detail they began to forget after a while is that Jesus is still walking among his churches, among his congregations, and that he holds every pastor in his right hand of grace, protection, and more importantly, accountability. Accountability. Jesus goes back to one of the titles we are given by him in chapter 1. And he seems to emphasize that title very strongly. And he addresses it directly to the pastor or shepherd of this particular church, being Ephesus. The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. The one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Every church is a lampstand projecting the light of Jesus into a lost and dying world, and nothing can block or obscure that light. Well, nothing, you know, as far as God's part or, the, or Satan or anything they can do to us, we can refuse to project that light. There's that. But other than being our own worst enemies and being the ones standing in the way of the light, if we're not with the light, if we're not walking with it, then we're standing in front of it. We're blocking it. Okay, but nothing can block or obscure that light that's humanly made. So this would have a twofold effect on the readers of this message. First of all, again, there can be no doubt whoever, whatsoever about who's in charge. We think because we don't see him or even feel him sometimes that we have been left to our own will and maneuverings. And I believe that the early church felt the same way. I believe that during these times, they had gone through so much trouble and persecution and tribulation, they felt like they'd been left on their own to just do whatever they could to survive. Do you truly believe that Jesus would leave us on our own to fulfill His word, His will in this life, to fulfill His plan and purpose in this life? Many in the, in the body of Christ, unfortunately, seem to believe just that. Many in leadership in the church have come to the conclusion that they're in charge. 
And ultimately, they're the ones responsible for their own sheep. And they don't understand that they are hired hands taking care of someone else's sheep. And how do we know this? Well, because we observe daily what men and women who are pastors and leaders of countless congregations throughout all the centuries all over the world do. They abuse, they manipulate, they exploit their people over and over again. Financially, emotionally, physically and worse, spiritually, with no conscience or compunction that seems whatsoever. This tells us that they're not mindful of the fact that Jesus is walking among them, among their churches and holding them accountable for their actions. There doesn't seem to be fear or any shred of anxiety of what the Lord will do in response to what, how they have handled their position as shepherds of the people. No fear of accountability or judgment. The biggest deception is that we, as teachers, preachers, and leaders of the church, will not be held accountable for what we say and do concerning the prized possessions of the Lord. What is the prized possessions of the Lord? Well, that is you. The people that come to someone like pastors of the churches for leadership, for guidance, who come to people like me to teach them a solid, truthful, honest Bible study. Okay, so that's the people that we, we think, somehow many of us think we're not going to be held accountable for what we say and do. But ultimately we will be. We are. And I'll open it up for questions real quick. All participants are unmuted. Thoughts or comments? Yes. Yes. Okay, the first, when he says, uh, I will remove the lampstand, uh, if that means he will the, the church from that area? That means that eventually, eventually. the church is going to come under its own judgment. And it will be removed. It will the, the responsibility that they have as the light of the light will be will be taken away. That does that necessarily mean that that those people will lose their salvation, so to speak, or that or that those people are condemned to hell? Not necessarily. It just means that if you, as a leader, as a pastor or a minister, are not going to lead my sheep properly, I am going to take you out of there, becoming a shepherd. I'm going to remove your responsibility with that of that lampstand is going to be removed. And I think that we have seen that play out. And this is a bit simplistic, but I think we've seen it play out in the fact that how so many churches have lost their place in society and the world in their neighborhoods and culture because they mishandle or mismanaged either the people of God or the or the or the you know the treasure of God that was brought through to that to that land you know what I mean to that place of that church okay so yes I believe churches are, are are judged daily because of the fact that they mismanaged or mishandled their place as the overseers and shepherds of God's people okay uh, second, second question. It also talks about seven angels. Are each angel assigned to each church? 
Okay, remember that uh, earlier we were we were told in chapter one, right, that the seven stars are the seven angels, and then I explained to you in the last lesson that the seven angels I believe are the human representatives of those church. So, what that basically means is because these particular seven churches are to represent all churches everywhere for you know forever. The seven angels representing these churches are also representative of all pastors and shepherds everywhere. Okay, and that's how that extends. Even though that was a message directed to them in the immediate time that was given, it the spiritual aspect of it is directed through the centuries to the rest of us who, the rest of the churches in the world that would fall under any one of these seven categories eventually, and their leadership would fall under one of these categories as well. And this is a warning, an eternal warning to all of those leaders that if you don't handle my people right, you don't shepherd my people right, you're going to be snuffed out. Okay. You're welcome. Anybody else? All right. Well, if no, if all, we'll continue going then if nobody else got any more questions. Back to mute land. Okay, so the first effect was the fact that um, Jesus is in charge and we've begun to make the mistake that he isn't, that we're in charge. The second thing, the second part of that is the comforting thought that those who need to remember and believe that Jesus is still here with them, with us, present, he's involved. He's aware. He's deeply affected by everything that is said and done in his churches. So remember how when we read through these churches, how he pays attention to the details. And he is a God of details. He is paying attention to everything that's going on in a church. Nothing is hidden from him. So he's paying very close attention and he's right here with us. He promised us that. So that's something that they would find comforting in the face of the great tribulation that was to come. Especially then, again, since they, was, they were about to face the worst tribulation they ever had. Now, because we are in what I consider the millennial reign of Christ, and as such... As I mentioned before, the power of Satan has been rendered feeble and sin and death have been dealt with forever. While most of us, even within the church, even the people that believe in Jesus, are still afraid of, devil, of, of Satan. We're still afraid of death. Okay, and, and we're still mired in our sins. We are told many times, as I'm going to read to you here, that he has dealt with them. He's overcome them. And we have to begin to realize and find a way to live as if that is true, because it is. That is the spiritual reality we are in. And that spiritual reality has to extend into our uh, physical reality. And again, you ask me, how the heck do I do that, Gil? How the heck do I... Apply that to my daily life. Well, because you need the Holy Spirit to do that for you. You need to pray, repent, and beg Him, ask Him. He wants to do this for us. He doesn't want to see us struggling. He doesn't want to see us 
mired and you know just writhing around in pain and in hurt and brokenness and in just mired in our own sins overcome to the point where we can't even breathe we can't even catch our breath he doesn't want us like that but somehow we've been convinced that there's just no way around it and there's no nothing we can do about it go with me to romans chapter 8 romans chapter 8 Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. And you, this is a very familiar scripture. It says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. How many of you would raise your hand if I said, Do you feel set free from the law of sin and death? For what, was, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, as an, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So how does that translate into practical reality? Well, it's this simple. And um, don't worry, it's 20 minutes till wherever we get done on this lesson, we're going to get done on time and I'll continue next week. But I do feel it's important to talk about this because I have been struggling with this lately a lot myself. How does that peace of God, how does this struggle, how do I mitigate that in my life, right? How does it extend to my life? And here's the thing. For us, I don't know about you, I'll speak for myself. It's very difficult for me to believe that it's better to do the right thing for God than just to do what I want to do. I have it convinced in my mind that if I just do it my way, it'll feel better, it'll taste better, it'll go better, I know better. But I've been doing that all my life over and over and over and over again. And what has it got me? Well, it may feel good for a moment. It may feel right for a moment, but you know what? It just it, it ends up becoming worse on the other side. It almost like it just turns to ashes in your mouth. And what I I'm starting to realize, even in my old age, even after all these years of teaching the Bible, after all the supposed spiritual maturity I've attained in my life, that I have to begin to trust that if I do the right thing, even though it may get me in trouble, even though it may go wrong in the beginning maybe i'll uh, suffer a little bit because of it in the beginning by the time i go to bed i lay my head on my pillow i feel so much better that i did the right thing for him that i did do that i did what i needed to do that i did that i had integrity and honesty and i obeyed and i sleep better when i do that as opposed to just doing what I think I need to do, even though he's screaming at me not to. He says, this isn't going to work out well, Gil. Um, I'm sorry, but I think I know better. And then later on, um, here I am, struggling, catching my breath, trying to survive. But we have a hard time trusting that doing the right thing for God will actually be better for us now and in the long run than doing what we want to do. 
And then we have a world that tries to convince us of the same thing. But you know the funny thing is, the world wants you to go out there and sex, drugs, and rock and roll and rebel. But it's not there for you when you fall. The world is going to cheer you on. It's going to clap its hands. It's going to say, yeah, you go, Gil. You go get some, man. You do what you want to do. But when I fall on my face and I am sitting there just writhing in pain, in agony, in my spirit, in my soul, in my heart, does the world come around and pick me up and say, oh, man, you know, uh, no. They just walk by, laugh, you know, take the selfies and put you on YouTube, you know, so that the whole world can watch you struggle and ride. They don't care. So I think that's part of the idea here is that he's telling them, you know, the whole world is about to fall on you. Everything you know is about to change. Remember, I am here. Remember my word. That's going to be the only thing that's going to survive this nightmare of, uh, of life, this nightmare of struggle, this nightmare of pain. My word. And you sticking close to my word. Hanging on to the Lord as it were. And there's been times when I said, Lord, you know, I feel so far away from you, but don't let me go. Don't give up on me. Even if I give up on you, please don't give up on me. And you know what? He never has. He never has. And if I've gotten anywhere or this far in this world, it's because I every now and then I actually obey him. Every now and then I actually do what he wants me to do. And I'll tell you, I wish I could remember what it feels like every day because as soon as I do it and I walk away, I somehow fall into my old bad habits. And you know the funny thing is the Apostle Paul, a guy who literally wrote 13 books of the New Testament, who was one of the greatest apostles, who planted I don't know how many churches, three different missionary journeys. He says, you know what, Gil? Guess what? I have struggled with that same exact problem my entire life too. And he wrote about it in Romans chapter 7. Who's going to save me from this body of death? The good that I don't want to do, I keep on doing. And the good that I want to do, I don't do. I'm sick of it. I'm tired of it. Who's going to save me from this body of death? And then Romans chapter 8. Well, heck, in fact, it's right here. Right in front of me. Right? It's right here in front of me. Let's go to verse, uh, I think it's worth reading, Romans 7.14. And again, what has this got to do with the, with the church of Ephesus? Well, it's got to do with the spiritual struggle they're facing and the spiritual struggle we're facing. Like, listen to this in uh, Romans 7, 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, and I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I don't understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I don't want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know, listen to this, that nothing good dwells in me that is my own flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil I do not want. 
But if I'm doing the very thing I don't want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find that the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur that with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a very different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Wretched man that I am. I think I should make that t-shirt. Who will set me free from this body of death? Now, here's the, the great part. Listen to verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind and serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. So you see what's going on here? He himself feels like he's a walking contra spiritual contradiction. As an apostle, as a spirit-filled man, I mean, he was healing people in Acts chapter 19 and 20. He was healing people when people had, would rub a handkerchief against him. That's how much faith he had. And yet he outlines for us the spiritual battle, the spiritual struggle every single one of us face. But thank God for Romans chapter 8 verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, you see. And that's what I have to remember. It may be as difficult or as simple as this, saints. When you feel pounded down, defeated, and broken, and it draws you and it makes you run to the scriptures and run to the praise of God and run towards God, then that is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's a good thing. But if we're being beaten down and pounded and just broken to pieces and it's drawing us away from God, away from His Word, away from praise then that is condemnation. And that is not of the Holy Spirit. That is of the devil. And I think that we need to begin to acknowledge that it's not just we're not just fighting our own flesh. We're not just fighting the world, but we're fighting a real enemy. And so the next time that you feel like you're being beaten down by the world, ask yourself, what is this causing me to do? Is it bringing me closer to God through conviction of the Holy Spirit, or is it drawing me away from God through condemnation from the enemy, from Satan? And if you sit down and really, and you can make that decision for yourself, just like I can, and I know when I make that decision to turn my condemnation to conviction and make it result, and choose to res make it result in me coming closer to God, then... I walk away a better, stronger man, at peace, filled with peace and with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Because I have used the enemy's, uh, enemy's tactics against them and have changed the result so that the result becomes, okay, I'm going to make this, let me draw close to God. That's what I'm going to make it do. So I've said a lot there. I'm going to open it up for questions here before I close down. Let's see. All participants are unmuted. Thoughts or comments? 
Do you guys at least understand understand what I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah. Very good. Okay. So you're not. Okay. So I'm just. Uh, you're not confused, no. or uh, I'm not all muddled up here. No, we're right with you. Amen. Amen. Good. Good. All right then. I got about nine minutes left. I think what I'm going to do is drop it off right there for now and um, continue on next week. Before I close down, I just want you to keep a couple of things in mind, okay? Just to kind of summarize and put and put it in big perspective. What we're digging into this weekend, starting in next week, is going to be the spiritual condition of these churches for better and for worse. And then what the Lord's solution is to those problems, one way or the other. And so... I just wanted to kind of place all that in, in, the, in the perspective of the fact that what's coming to those believers in this particular time when this stuff was written is horrific. And even though I don't believe that in today's day and age it's as bad as that just yet, the spiritual principle still applies. You know... Regardless of who is in charge in Washington, D.C. or who is president, I'm still struggling with my own personal struggles. I am still dealing with my daily walk with God. I am still dealing with my ups and downs of faith. And so my prayer, I'm praying, I'm going to pray for you. You pray for me. I just want you to understand that what the people went through then, we go through now because spiritually, not a lot changes. There's not a lot new under the sun. We're still making the same tragic spiritual mistakes now that they were making then. And so it's entirely relevant. What Jesus says to them then is immediately relevant. But then those same words are just as relevant to us today in our spiritual condition because we're human beings like they were struggling with the same strugglings like they were, and especially when you have someone like the Apostle Paul, who should be pretty much high up on the pedestal of spirituality because he's an apostle and wrote 13 books of the New, of the New Testament, planted all these churches, and yet he is saying, guess what, guys? I have to struggle. I, I accomplished all that for the kingdom while I was still struggling with my own issues. Amen? All right, then. So any final comments or questions before I pray and send you on your way? Uh, I'm sorry, Jackie. What was that? Well, we'll get the Smyrna, okay? Um, trust me, you don't want to stretch my brain into boiling point by trying to fit in another church tonight. I want to <laughs> I want to get through uh, let me get through Ephesus and we'll, we'll, when we get to Smyrna I'll answer all your questions about that but um for right now this is you know I want you to take this in drink it in pray about it and uh let's pray for each other right because again we can't survive in the kingdom of God the kingdom of God on this earth cannot survive without the fellowship and the of the saints yeah. Praying for each other, encouraging each other, blessing, supporting each other, and figuring out a way 
to make church happen again in the midst of everything that's going on. Remember that the early church had was in catacombs for centuries, and they did what they could under that for centuries. I don't think a pandemic caught God by surprise, and that this is going to be, you know, uh, an un, you know, the unsolvable problem for the Christian church. We just have to figure out how we're going to live as citizens of the kingdom of God in spite of all that's going on around us on the outside world. So if all hearts and minds are clear, thank you so much for your time and attention tonight. And let me uh, say a quick prayer and send you guys on your way. Beloved Father, we praise and thank you for your mercy and grace upon us. And all we ask that you please... And they can unmute themselves. Would just fill us with your Holy Spirit, Father, because regardless of what anybody might think, we can't live the Christian life apart from your Spirit. We can't accomplish the Christian mission apart from your Spirit. We can't live as citizens of the kingdom of God apart from your Spirit, Father, and we wouldn't want to. If we're going to be those people that are a light in a dark world, that are surviving our own foibles, our own struggles, our own darkness, our own... Uh, you know, everything that goes on within our hearts and minds, Father, we need the Spirit to give us that assurance and that blessing, knowing that He has overcome these things. He has forgiven us of our own sins. He has cleansed us of our own unrighteousness. So, Father, I, I, I repent before you, Father, for my sin, for my unrighteousness, for doubting you, Lord, for, for not believing that your option is better than anything else, that I, that I believe that I know better than you do about my own life. I repent of that, Father, in the name of Jesus, and I ask for forgiveness. And and I stand with anybody else with me right now that's asking for the same thing. I need your peace, Father, right now. I need your strength. I need to be led by you, strengthened by you, Father. I need to feel the joy of the Spirit in my heart and mind so that I can relax a little bit of my angst and my anxiety, Lord, and my fears. And I'm not the only one, Father. And I just ask you, Father, that the let us be people that purpose to be lights. We talked. I talked earlier with Martin about the fact that sometimes we uh, we can be ta- our responsibilities can be taken away, especially the leadership, Lord, or the church in particular can be removed as a light on that mountain to be placed somewhere else. We don't want that for us, Father. Allow us to not stand in the way of the light, Lord, but to be conduits so that the light shines through us to the rest of the world and that that light may also heal us and strengthen us and bless us and encourage us too father because we all need that right now we lift up our sick and infirm and those that need you desperately father we ask that you please bless those that are sick and we ask that you please father i pray for this nation and i pray for this government that um your mighty your will would prevail in everything father regardless of who's in charge lord we're still citizens of the kingdom of god Bless us, Father, and strengthen us to be the church you want us to be, to do church the way you want us to do it, and to live as the citizens you want us to live because you are in charge now. We praise you, we love you, and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, saints. All participants are unmuted. Yeah. Bye, Have a good night. Bye. God bless you. Bye. Thank you guys.
Goodbye.